As a comfort and an encouragement to some of you, let me testify this. I'm stronger now in the Lord than ever before. Amen. Just don't worry. In maybe 1967 or 1968, when I and so many others were in Eldon Hall in Los Angeles, we came to a Sunday morning meeting on the Lord's, oh, the Lord's Day morning meeting, and we were surprised to see that Brother Lee was there because supposedly he was in the Northwest for a weekend conference, but instead he was in the meeting quite vibrant, fresh. And he shared something that has stayed with me for more than 50 years and was activated by the spirit within me at the start of the December training. Yes, he went up to Seattle. Then he had some signs of illness. And then he said this, the strategy and the spiritual warfare is to retreat into the Lord. So he flew back to Los Angeles. Then he slept nonstop for more than 40 hours, was fully restored and ministered among us until so many years ago. And so just for our learning, you know, I had bronchitis. Two out of three doctors said there was just a little patch of pneumonia behind your heart. So I wasn't hospitalized. I wasn't bedridden. I wasn't on an IV. I took some prescribed antibiotics for five days, then had peaceful rest at home with my dear wife. Amen. And just accepted, although there was an attack of the enemy, the sovereign God and his government was over that attack. I retreated into the Lord, let everything go. But, meaning I was holding on to anything, not even the training, not even the messages, only the Lord himself. But the Lord knew that I had a very intense deep burden regarding the government of God when I wrote outlines 2, 5, and 12. But it's the Lord's way for me to give me the opportunity to release this burden in various fresh ways in Manila, in Subang Jaya in the Philippines, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and now in Phoenix, Arizona. No repeat no leftovers, something fresh, something new, something supplying, Amen. something delightful, Amen. something sober, Amen. but something that will, I believe, uplift all of us. Amen. I was reading, continuing through the New Testament again in Acts on the Plain, and I want to read... Two verses from Acts 17 and open up our subject in this way. The second part of verse 30, chapter 17, verse 30. 
God now charges all men everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day in which he is to judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has designated, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. I don't know how the Lord will lead us in announcing the gospel, but I believe he wants us to include these verses to let the lawless, chaotic, hate-filled people running wild over this country, bringing chaos into the government, speaking words of death and the media, that God commands you now to repent. God charges, declares, everyone, everywhere to repent, have a change of mind. Because he has set a day in which he is to judge the world. And here, judging the world is not the last judgment at the great white throne mentioned in Revelation 20. It is not the judgment of the believers concerning the kingdom at the judgment seat of Christ. It is the Lord's judging of the world as soon as he comes back. And he will judge the entire world in righteousness. And my whole being increasingly is crying out to him for this. How long, Lord, will you wait? You must vindicate your name, vindicate your righteousness, manifest your righteousness. Those of us that are far from being young and have a keen memory can compare the present situation with what was in the 60s. We thought that was radical. But this is the most inhuman, hateful, bitter, chaotic, lawless period in my whole life in this country. And God has strong feelings about it. But he has a way of doing things. And that involves his government, his righteousness, and his people who are sojourning on the earth, who are living here for the fulfillment of God's purpose. And Peter wrote his two short epistles to comfort suffering believers He was an apostle to the Jews. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Those are the two regions of the work in the New Testament. So Peter was especially comforting the brothers and sisters all over the earth who were suffering. 
And yes, we will see, but we need to see in a full way. He wrote concerning the government of God. But he did it with a shepherding heart. We know this because after Peter had a colossal failure, denying Christ using a fisherman's vocabulary, and the Lord looked at him, the rooster crowed, he was broken, and he wept bitterly. We know that on the day he arose, and the women, always the women, are seeking the Lord first. They were at the tomb. An angel said, with an encouraging word, and then mentioned, and Peter. And Peter. We know from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul lists the appearings of the resurrection, resurrected Christ, he appeared personally to Peter. Then in John 21, as we know, he told him, since you love me, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. His commission was now to take all-inclusive, tender care of God's people. So in his old age, not too long before his martyrdom, which was coming, the Lord revealed that to him in John 21. He is writing a very weighty, yet grace-filled epistle with a heart to comfort the suffering believers. But his way, and the way I am learning to take is this. It's been my practice for many years with responding to requests for fellowship from suffering saints, deeply suffering saints, and needy saints. One thing I will not do is speak words of false hope in, under the guise of comforting. Only the divine reality with the divine grace can comfort a suffering soul. Amen. So Peter didn't just start writing and said, I'm crying for you, but everything is going to be fine. Don't worry, everything will be okay. No, his central thought is, his point of reference is, to explain what's happening to them. The particular sufferings you are going through as believers are an application of God's righteous government to you, to me, to all of us. Because we were chosen to be God's people. And Peter quoted Leviticus when God said, Be holy, even as I am holy. And you must have a holy manner of life. And you must live a life of righteousness. So God knows, and Peter knew, that all of us are undergoing a process 
We have been regenerated. Our spirit is life. We have the life and nature of God. We are children of God. Romans 8, 16, the spirit is witnessing with our spirit that we are children of God. We have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven and forgotten by God. Now much more we're being saved in his life. We're being trained to reign in life. We are growing in life, receiving the word of life, enjoying the grace of life. But physically, we're still in the old creation. And in our being and in our living, to some extent, there are things contrary to God, contrary to his nature, contrary to his character. And as our father, he wants to raise righteous and holy children. So along with his loving care is his discipline. He's not angry. He's not disappointed. But things happen to touch aspects of our being that only God can deal with. And I believe now is the time to share an experience I had in 1987. And one part of, I believe this will be enlightening to you, but it may also give you the impression that what I'm talking about is not a theory. It's not a doctrine. It's very real to me. I attended Brother Lee's training on the life study of 1st and 2nd Peter and Jude. 30 messages. They deeply impressed and penetrated me. Then I prepared all the messages for publication. That was my work. So I absorbed much of that material, more than I realized. Because I told the Lord, I'm willing to be an ox grinding out grain. But I claim nibbling rights based upon the scripture. Do not muzzle the ox. I'll be an ox, but I'm going to be feeding on what I am grinding out. Then in 1987, in March, I was in indescribably severe pain in my midsection, front and back. And I thought to myself, is this is what the sisters experience in delivering a child? I have fresh compassion on them. And eventually, the only thing I needed to do was to call Brother Rick Scatterday, who was, we were both in Irving, Texas. He came over, checked my pulse, realized this is critical. So he called the hospital and said, I'm bringing this man in on an emergency basis. And so they brought me there, put me in the cardiology section. They thought this is probably what it is. Intuitively, I knew it was something else. But who am I to tell the doctors what it is? So I kept quiet. And all the tests couldn't find out anything. And maybe the second night, the temperature was going up and things were perilous. And Rick called in a surgeon. 
and said we must perform surgery immediately and signed the document to say we'll go in with your appendix in case that's what it is then you have to agree to exploratory surgery we have to look to find out what's the cause so I signed they put me to sleep saints came no matter what the hour of the day they came they prayed and then when I woke up in the recovery room, I was told, it's the gallbladder. I said, I knew it. But the gallbladder was infected. It was gangrenous. It had changed color. If it had erupted, I would have died. So that saved my life. Then I needed to remain there for eight more days, not eating or drinking anything. And then one night, there was an attack of pancreatitis, also a serious condition. The surgeon was called again for consultation. But eventually, I could be released and to be home. And I wasn't ready to go back to my service. And one morning, I was there alone. The kids were in school. My wife was asleep. I sat on the couch and peacefully asked the Lord, Lord, what is this that happened? And immediately I realized two things at once. Not that I heard a voice audibly, but there's the inner speaking that's undeniable. This is my governmental hand on you. And I immediately received that and humbled my whole being under his hand. Then I was surprised. Grace, like I've never known before, flowed and flowed and flowed. And I just, sometimes, you know, we, we ask belated or retroactive amens or thank yous maybe at the time we just can't honestly do it but when we have some perspective we realize Lord you gain something how can I not worship you thank you so then from the 33 years there have been a lot of other experiences and then after the last presidential election, and I'm being apolitical to the uttermost, I realize that there are many, many dear Christians, even among us. They do not know God has a government. They do not know the word in Daniel chapter 2, which says God may put on the throne the lowest of people. They did not accept, they did not recognize God's sovereignty in that election as there was sovereignty in all the previous elections. Whether it was with George W. Bush or Barack Obama, if we know God's government and respect his authority, We change our political allegiance 
I vote for the throne. I'm a theocrat. I'm for God to rule. And then I began to realize Deuteronomy is a book on, to a large extent, God's government. And Moses says dozens of times, I command you, I command you. And God said to Moses many times, I command you. Yet he is a loving father speaking to his spiritual children about how if you want to actually live in the good land, you must live this way under God's government. If you do, you will be richly blessed. You will be safe. You will be peaceful. If not, you will be judged righteously and driven off the land. Then it became increasingly clear that Deuteronomy and Peter's epistles match. And to fully understand Deuteronomy and vice versa with First and Second Peter, we need this book. So let me give a brief summary and illustrate this way. Let's say a person enters this country altogether legally. They marry a citizen. They have a fiancé visa. They apply. They get a green card. They follow all the rules. They apply for citizenship. And before that's granted, they have to pass a basic test on government. We, you, when you received the green card, you were welcomed here. My wife got a warm letter. Welcome to the United States. You're a permanent resident. Now, if you want to live here, you need to understand the basics, at least, of how this government operates in principle. Then you, get a, you pass the test and you become a citizen. Well, we know from certain verses, like one in Ephesians chapter 2, we are fellow citizens. We're not only brothers and sisters. We're fellow citizens of a heavenly country called the kingdom of God. And in Ephesians, uh, Philippians 3, Paul says, our citizenship is in the heavens. So we have been born through regeneration into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the realm where God's will is done. And the realm where God rules in righteousness, in holiness, in love, and in light. It's the most pleasant place. Ephesians, uh, Colossians 1.13 says it's the kingdom of the Son of God's love. But just as every country has a governmental center, the kingdom of God also has a governmental center, and that is the throne. 
And God, as God, the creator, is the one exercising his government now. And he exercises this in two main ways. One way is judgment or discipline. I won't say punishment. Judgment or discipline that is absolutely just in every way. It's righteous in every way. And then we know, and as you have picked up from the last training, there is a marvelous provision for those who are living under this government. There's just an indescribably wonderful provision of God's grace his life. One of the provisions is the Christ who lived under this government and was obedient unto death. He is now the shepherd of our soul. He's in our spirit. From there, he's the overseer, not spying for the CIA, but watching, knowing he knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're worried about. He knows what you need. He knows what you're thinking. And then he gives all-inclusive tender care. That's a definition of shepherding. What what could be a greater provision than this? What, What government is like this who cares for people like this? And then in the verses we read from 1 Peter 5, we see balance again. Be humbled under the mighty hand of God. Then in due time, he will exalt you. I didn't know how long I would be on God's governmental hand in 1987. It didn't matter. This is where I need to be. I leave the future to him. But then shortly after that, he says this. Cast all your anxieties. All your worries on him. Listen to this. For it matters to him concerning you. My brothers and sisters, anything right now, right here, that matters to you, matters to him. Whether it's your health, something in your family, wanting to be married, wanting to have children, becoming a grandparent, whatever it is. He doesn't want you to be weighed down by anxiety. Cast it unto him. It matters to him. And then we read in Second Peter, what a provision. So this government, there's nothing like it. Only God is righteous in this way. He has to be true to his character and deal with all unrighteousness and all that is contrary to his holy nature. And his way is to begin with us. So, yes, I believe he's waiting for the prayer, calling him to come. Lord, come back. Come back for your bride. Then come back with your bride to establish your kingdom on the earth. 
I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't want to live under this kind of thing. It's unbearable. But here we are. But he makes it clear, if you really want this to happen in society, over Washington, D.C., over the talking heads in the media, over the ungodly in Hollywood, whatever it is, if you want that to happen, then you need to see, I begin with my own house first. Then, once I gain you, listen to this, then through you, the church, I will execute my government over the whole earth. So actually, even right now, with this coronavirus spreading, governments are involved, doctors are saying this or that, this and that, I pay attention to them. But it is the church executing the government of God that is going to control this situation. Again, it's from the enemy, but the enemy's action is under God's sovereign hand. We need to recognize this. And last night, my wife and I and the third party were a vital group. She's in Switzerland. We have a little prayer meeting over the phone once a week. And we devoted our prayer to this. As far as the churches or the saints are concerned, protect everyone, preserve everyone. But limit the enemy as he's trying to limit your move. And then, Lord, release the white horse of the gospel of the kingdom. To ride all over the earth. And so we have a tremendous future ahead of us. And what will be released in the elders training will build on this. Because we will see that it's through the church under God's government and the church doing God's will that the Lord will carry out whatever is on his heart. But we need to be reminded we are the first ones that need to be disciplined, to be judged. And that judgment was similar to the surgery I went through. It's like the Lord was saying, Ron, there's a part of your being that is poisonous to you. If I allow it to remain in you, You're going to die before you're 50 years old. That's not my course for you. Don't give in to that. And he arranged everything for a skilled surgeon in time. So I have the same kind of view. Right now as I'm standing here, God knows every cell of my being. In a way I could never know myself. And I'm not afraid. Actually, I'm content to pray in the light of this knowledge. Lord, according to what you see, according to what you know, according to what you want to do with me, 
Do whatever's in your heart. I trust you. I believe in you. You're a God of love. You're a righteous God. You're never wrong. I admit, I don't understand lots of things. But I'm still praying about an important matter for 23 years and there's no answer. I don't understand. But I'll stand before the enemy and say, my God is righteous. If he answers, he's righteous. If he doesn't answer, he's righteous. If he does something or doesn't do anything outward, he is righteous. And so our general subject is the Christian life and the government of God. Helping us to see. That is to go beyond just the thought to really see inwardly. We are in the kingdom. The kingdom has a government. This government is in righteousness. And God carries out his government by judging all unrighteousness. And it begins with the house of God. And then God will gain a people on the earth that express him, that represent him. Then through the church, he will go on. And I believe the prayers will get higher and higher. Until eventually, we'll tell him. We can't say it sincerely now, but we can tell him, Lord, the bride is ready. We will not taste death. Rapture us alive. We should live with this kind of hope. So now we can go through outline one on the universal government of God. And there are two sections with capped off with the third section concerning the Lord Jesus. And he will be the key because God only requires us to do things that we can't do. Like Matthew 548, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, that's a command, a kingdom command. Be perfect. Okay? That's the message. That's I'll go home and then lose sleep. No. Because he wants us to realize, number one, that's his word. Because that's his word, we say amen. Then our second response should be, I can't do this. I can't be this. And the Lord is happy to hear this. Then he says, I know. Let me do it. Let me be it. Let me live again in you, the life I lived on the earth. Okay? I know how to live in every situation, to be with any kind of person, to bear any kind of suffering. Just let me live again. That's how this message will end. So we're under a government, but we're not actually preoccupied with government. We're, we're focused on the most wonderful person, the God-man Jesus, Amen. on the throne and in our spirit. Amen. Okay, the universal government of God, the epistles of First and Second Peter are on the universal government of God. The subject of First Peter is the Christian life 
under the government of God, showing us the government of God, especially in his dealings with his chosen people. Now, all of you that are parents, have you never had to deal with your children at all? Never had to discipline them? Whether they realize it or not, wasn't that an expression of your love for them? You want them to be a normal human with a strong character, able to live a proper human life. This is on a human level. And so, it's especially with his chosen people. He says the subject of Second Peter is the divine provision and the divine government, showing us that as God is governing us, he supplies us with whatever we need. I just believe this. That's why that morning is so memorable to me. I realize I'm under your hand. I humble myself. Now you're the God of all grace. I don't even know, actually, what I need. And I don't try to figure it out. I just come to the Lord and say, Lord, you know where I am. You don't know what I need. But we need eventually to be clear about the difference and help our dear teenage Church kids know the difference between what you need and what you want. And so you may come home and they say, I need the latest smartphone. I can't have this hand-me-down phone you gave me when I turned 16. All the kids at school have one. I need one. So you listen to them, and then you want to train them to say, you don't need one, you want one. And so I will care for you at any cost to me to supply you with what you need. But you're not going to trick me into giving you everything you want. Because I don't want you to grow up selfish and looking at society saying, it's all for me. Everything's for me. You owe it to me. You had to pay your college debts, not me. Give it to me. Well, I don't want... Kids, I didn't raise kids like that. If you want what you need, humanly work for it, spiritually bring it to the Father. And so this is for sure. Under God's government, we get whatever we need. But only God knows. So Jacob, when he ran away for his life because his brother was out to kill him, he went to Uncle Laban's, and then he sees this gorgeous young woman. 
And every once in a while, I counsel the fourth-term brothers when they want fellowship about courtship, engagement, and marriage. I just, with a smile, tell them, don't follow Jacob's pattern of starting a courtship. Well, some of you may not know what it was. He saw this beautiful woman in shape and in face. He went up to her, kissed her, and started crying. Brothers, that's not the way. (laughs) Okay. So he wanted her. Oh, he wanted her. So here's the deal. Seven years. Done. They flew by. The morning after the wedding, no Rachel. Someone else is here. Leah. Now, what did Jacob do? Did he kneel down, raise his hands, and proclaim all Leah's work together for good? (laughs) No, he's protesting. One clever person combating another clever person. How did this happen? You have to know the custom here, Jacob. We can't give away the younger daughter first. So you have Leah. Work another seven years. You'll get Rachel. Well, Rachel is what Jacob wanted. Leah is what Jacob needed. So whether this will work out or not, and I'm presenting this positively, during your courtship, brothers, during the wedding, in the first part of your honeymoon, you're married to Rachel. When you get back home, you realize you're actually married to Leah. Leah is the one you need. And so, if we're aware of a need, we can bring it to him. Don't hold anything back. But in his government, he will provide all that we need at whatever stage of human life we're in. One thing I don't need and I don't like is getting these uninvited email advertisements for anti-aging stuff. (laughs) I don't know who sold you my email address, but I don't want to be anti-aging. I want to go through the stages of life as a normal human being and experience the triune God in every situation. And so, those of you that are young, just be young. And we're not going to try to make you old ahead of time. And I know you believe you're immortal. It's okay. But you go through the stages of life. And how blessed it is to realize I live under a government that cares for me in every stage, in every situation of my life on earth. See, God governs by judging. 
This judgment of God is for the carrying out of his government. Because first and second Peter are concerned with the government of God. In these epistles, the judgment of God and of the Lord is referred to repeatedly as one of the essential items. Then we have all these verses. Through various kinds of judgment, judgments, the Lord will clear up the entire universe and purify it so that he may have a new heaven and a new earth for a new universe filled with the righteousness of his delight, for his delight. We are in the age of grace. When the Lord returns and establishes his kingdom, it will be the age of righteousness. There'll be no war. The weapons of war will be all dealt with. There'll be no money. So no raw deals, no money. We don't know the details. It'll be interesting to see what will happen to Sin City. Las Vegas, to all the gambling paraphernalia, the gambling casinos, all burned. But those that survived, they say, look, the desert is blossoming. Go raise fruit. Go raise some beautiful flowers. It'll be the age of righteousness. And now, as I mentioned earlier, more than ever before, I'm hungry And thirsty for righteousness. But I don't expect it to come out of the U.S. government offices in Washington, D.C. It will come from the throne through the church. One, okay, uh, D. The judgment in 1 Peter 1.17 which is carried out by the Father, is not the future judgment, but is the present daily judgment of God's governmental dealings with his children. So this is now present. We're living under it. And all of us will receive it because we're not yet rapture-ready Our body is still a body of sin, capable of anything. It's a body of death, incapable of anything divine. Plus, the damage done to our soul. So, the Lord, by judging, is not just pronouncing a sentence on it. He's eliminating it. He's removing it. And just very recently, I was surprised that God did this again, not through suffering, but by touching something deep in me that had been bothering me for quite a period of time. And then I just was in a jubilee. I am free. 
I've never been freer in my being as a believer. It's not a mood. It's not an emotion. It's the result of judgment and removing things that are contrary to God. One, the Father has regenerated us to produce a holy family. A holy father with holy children. So maybe a young person says, I don't want to be holy. It's not cool to be holy. None of my friends are holy. I don't even like the word holy. Okay. But you're born into a holy family. And we're not threatening you. You're going to end up as holy as God is. So let me tell you something about your existence. Before anything was created, not even the angels, according to Ephesians 1, 4, God chose us in Christ to be holy. Amen. So you didn't ask your permission. It wasn't a vote. <clears throat> and so... You will be holy. Just a matter of when. And you have a choice. You could become holy according to God's economy in this lifetime. Or you could spend a thousand years becoming holy and righteous. While the overcomers are enjoying the wedding feast. And are reigning on the earth. That's the choice. I do know this happened 50 years ago. So the sister is now, if she's still alive, 67. And she just shared this openly in the church meeting. She was truly a believer in the Lord, was baptized. Unusually beautiful. I mean, Miss America type beautiful. I'm not exaggerating. And so she swarmed with young men interested in her for their own satisfaction. And she said, I choose to go the way of the world. I know I will be saved by fire, but I will do this. That was her choice. And So we just need to realize we're not in charge here. When God decides something, that's it. He has his way. He may take time. But it's so much more if we say, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want what's in your heart concerning me to be carried out now. Two, as holy children, we should walk in a holy manner of life. Otherwise, in his government, God the Father will become the judge and will deal with our unholiness. I've needed this. We're all the same. E, the disciplinary judgment in the government of God... (coughs) That's phlegm, don't worry. 
begins from the house of God. That's in practical, in a practical way, that's the local churches. And I know of situations as one serving with other co-workers, serving the churches. There are unrighteous dealings between elders and saints in certain places. The way brothers have taken care of things, how they made up their mind about something, only hearing one side of the story, or how they acted out of suspicion and took that as a reality, or couldn't control their emotion, their anger, They need to read Hebrews 13, 17. You will give an account for the souls of all the saints. And so the Lord looks upon this and he says, this cannot take place in my house. That is not the way you lead. That is not shepherding. That's not the way you care. And so, just another kind of little lighter illustration. A brother told me, Ken, when we were driving here, he wanted to know what what really was your situation during the training. You heard so many things. You had pneumonia. You're in the hospital. Your life is in danger. Um, You're bedridden. All of this. And my immediate response was, when the saints really learn to live under the government of God, gossip will stop. There won't be any rumors going around. Only the facts, only the truth. There'll be less interest in wanting information about this and that. And when you get a fact, you pray. So just this one matter The first fruits that are raptured in Revelation 14, they have certain characteristics. One is they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Another is guile is not found in their mouth. I served with many others with brotherly at close range. I never heard an idle or wasted word come out of his mouth. Yet he could speak freely from the mingled spirit under the throne. So this is not a theory. This is God. What does he hear? What does he hear of the seven billion of people talking? How many righteous words are spoken in a day? I can't bear to watch news for more than a couple minutes because there's hardly any news. There's just opinions. Can I just know the fact about something? That's all. Well, before that can change in society, we need the Lord to bring about the change in us. So he's doing this 
by judging what's not holy, what's not righteous, at the same time, caring for us, shepherding us, blessing us, meeting all of our needs. Eventually, you'll realize, and the sisters will realize, because you have a particular genuine need for security. I was in a little informal fellowship once when a sister asked Brother Lee, you know, why does it seem that sisters cause problems in the church? This is the sidebar. Most of the little problems are caused by sisters. All the huge major problems are caused by gifted brothers. Okay, so I'm being equal here. And he gave two reasons. He said, vainglory and insecurity. When you have a sense of insecurity, you're just raw meat for the devil. And that's just a human need. You need security. When a brother is courting a sister, more than love is involved. She needs to respect him. She needs to feel safe with him. She's going to take him as her head. And so, marriage itself is a governmental arrangement. But this society is rebelling against male and female. Those out at the airport needed to go to the restroom. You see the wise, ordinary, common people, they still know there's male and female. You see, idiots in their progressive ideology that tries to wipe away the whole thing. Little sidebar. I want that to be dealt with. Or it will say, I'm more than you, but first I have to get through the church. So God uses, okay, E, the disciplinary judgment in the government of God begins from the house of God God judges everything that does not match his government. Sometimes it's very light, your fellowshipping with him, and he said, you were wrong in what you said. And I say, Lord, I was wrong in what I said. Or I was wrong in the way I said it. Or my reaction was strong and wrong. So that's a kind of easygoing judgment, but it's a judgment. Ron, I don't like that. That's not going to continue. That's not how I live. Let me live instead of you. Two, God uses fiery ordeals to deal with the believers in the judgment of his governmental administration, which begins from his own house. Point three is very important. The purpose of this judgment is that we would live according to God in spirit. Live according to God. So it's as a positive end, like training your children, disciplining your children, that you would be, become a young adult. I don't like to say I'm proud of you. I'd rather say I'm pleased with you, son. I'm so pleased. I leave the pride to others. I'm so happy with you. You bring joy to my heart. 
just by being the kind of man you are. What could mean more to a son than a father saying this? It's going to happen to all of us once the process is finished. Roman 2, in his writings, Peter combines the Christian life and God's government, revealing that the Christian life and the government of God goes together, go together as a pair. The triune God has passed through a long process in Christ and has become the life-giving spirit to indwell us. This is for our Christian life. At the same time, the triune God is still the creator of the universe and its ruler. And so there's a verse in First Peter that says, Commit your souls to a faithful creator. There was another time, some years ago, I was in the hospital, and the brother said, it's concerning your heart. I went in there because of a gout attack on both knees, but they found something else. And I was just lying peacefully in my bed, conversing with the Lord, and I just inquired of him. Do you want me to die now? I thought, Lord, if that's what you want, then I should be ready. But then he assured me, no, I'm here to gain something else. And so in that situation, I could just commit my soul to a faithful creator. Lord, you're here. You know I'm here. This is where you want me. This is your arrangement. You disrupted my schedule to bring me here. And you used my swollen knee to cause a brother to bring me to the ER. And then they found eventually you need stents in your heart. The Lord used the knee to save my heart. What kind of wise God do we have? Whoa, he really knows what he's doing. God really knows how to be God. Okay. See, although we have been born of God to have a spiritual life and to be a new creation, we are still in the old creation. For this reason, we need God's governmental dealings. Whether we, real, whether we realize we need it or not, that doesn't matter. God the Father knows. And by the way, recently I've been freshly touched with the Apostle John's word in 1 John chapter 1. He said, these things we write to you that you may have fellowship with us. And this is what touches me. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And I realized I need more fellowship with the Father. 
that certain things I've been praying for sincerely, but not with accuracy. I've been just asking the Lord the Son about this and that. Eventually, I, I sense a gentle nudge. Ron, bring this to the Father. It's the Father who supplies daily bread. And daily bread is all that we need for our present existence. And I believe what I'm learning, we all need to learn. We have a Father. And we have the triune God, that he's one. We don't have the sense we have three. But sometimes we sense the Spirit. Sometimes we sense Christ. And we need to sense the Father. Like at the Lord's table. The Father wants us to praise the Son and remember him. Then eventually the Son inwardly says, I want to lead you to worship the Father. My heart it has a positive longing for us all that you would know the Father. And yes, the Father supplies and the Father has to discipline. That's Hebrews 12. And it's so sweet for me to just bring things to the Father. Father, I've been praying for so long about this son of mine. Now I bring the matter to you. He's your child. Whatever's in your heart, Father, do that. Whatever your will is, do that. And there's just a sweet rest. Two, in order for the Christian life to grow, we need the discipline of God's government. So Second Peter 1, 5 through 7, shows the growth. If we don't accept God's government, this will affect our spiritual growth. It may stop. There are saints I know. They've been in the recovery longer than I. I've been here 53 and a half years. They haven't grown for 30 years. I don't judge them. I don't criticize them. I care. This is not normal. And I'm concerned that they're not desperate. One brother in his 80s, he had a, a certain crisis, had to be rushed to the hospital. His wife was there with him and the Lord brought him through. Then I asked a mature sister, I said, are they desperate now? She said, no. Everything's just going along, routine. So part of the exercise of the government is to enable us to grow to maturity. Father knows. Now the last section, and there'll be plenty of time, and I hope many will follow the spirit within and give one minute sharings to, con to complete the message and to confirm the message. 
when the Lord Jesus was on earth. He lived a human life that was absolutely under the government of God. And he committed everything related to him to God's government. So John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So in faith and in union with him, I can say, I came to Phoenix not to do what I want, but what the one who sent me wants. This is Christ living again. And then we read the verses that when he was reviled, that's when people speak evil things, despising things, cursing you, blaspheming you. It came again and again. They said, you cast out demons by Beelzebub. You have a demon. You're lying, claiming you're God. He didn't say, like a tough guy, what was that again, you said? I dare you to say it again. Because I'll have my fist in your mouth if you do. No. No no one was despised like our Lord. He just spontaneously committed everything to the Father. Father, they're reproaching me because I'm one with you. I refer everything to you. I'm not praying for revenge. I just leave it to you. And we will see in a later message, but I'll mention it here. Now, the Christ who lived under the government of God, he as the spirit is in our spirit. And he wants to live again this way. And let me just tell you this, and this is not false humility. This is just frankness. If I can learn a certain spiritual lesson, any believer can learn. The Lord knows. I'm not a simple case. If I can learn, others can learn probably faster. And so some years ago, I went to a country in South America and I had a meeting with the leading brothers from various churches. Then I warned them of a very negative person spewing out all kinds of attacks. I gave the name so they knew who he was. Then I found out that someone in that meeting violated confidentiality recorded what I spoke, sent sent it to this person. And for some reason, he put it online to make it known to the world. And then he filed a lawsuit against me for slandering him. And as soon as I heard this, I had no fear. I had no anger. I had no anxiety. I just said, Lord, I give this to you. I give this to you. 
And then I was traveling with a brother who served with DCP. And once they found out about it, they decided, okay, they'll do something. But again, I wasn't relying on what men would do. And eventually the lawsuit, and there was another brother involved, another co-worker, went to the judge and he just threw it away. It's ridiculous. This was spoken to a Christian gathering in Albato, Ecuador. And you're the one who puts the thing on the line. And you've got some motive for wanting to do this. After the training in July, I think you remember, there were some strong words spoken concerning rebellion and some serious words spoken about misrepresenting God. And about five or six weeks later, the husband of the one who was being the most vociferous, speaking the most, every kind of evil, negative thing, he took his life. Then I received emails accusing me of his death saying, you have blood on your hands. And I, I can't mention the vocabulary some used. Again, didn't bother me. No fear, no anxiety, no need to fight back. Father God, I give this to you. This is really an attack against you. Then I read again in Numbers, 16. After the ground opened up and Korah and his followers went down to Sheol and the fire came down and 250 died, the next day all the people blamed Moses and Aaron for killing them. So we're in good company. (laughs) Now, I was not suppressing my feeling. I was not gritting my teeth. I was not trying to be a hero. It was effortless. Because I'm learning, slowly, but learning, let Christ live again. The life he lived under the government of God. The Lord kept committing all his insults and injuries to him who judges righteously in his government, the righteous God, to whom he submitted himself. He put his trust in this righteous one, recognizing his government. He died at 33 and a half. He was obedient unto death. It was the Father's will. So at the end of John 14, he said, let's arise and go. That the world may know that I love the Father. His will is that I die for you all. So you can be redeemed and forgiven. And I will release my life to produce you as my counterpart. That's the joy set before me. Father, I'll drink the cup that you gave me. 
This wonderful person is in us. And we're all like this. I'm in the spirit. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. I'm in. I'm still learning. But I'm not discouraged. Because Paul said, we will all arrive at a full-grown man. Then when God counseled Christ as a man, Christ's inward parts were one with God and instructed him through his contact with God. So often, even most of the time, the governmental leading will be quiet and gentle. So let me just take three minutes. Some of you heard this story. I needed to work on something in my office till quite late at night. The gas tank of the car was almost empty. I went to the gas station. Everything is quiet, not much traffic. So I just wanted to just cross the street and make a left turn. But I had the sense, don't do that. Just drive through the parking lot all the way around. Then there's a little street that comes to there make no uh, bookers there. There's a light. Wait for the green light and turn. And I thought, that's just too complicated. So I just persisted in going ahead and turning left. Then I'm driving along, and in the mirror, I see a vehicle <laughs> with one person riding it like a horse. And lights are flashing. And then a megaphone is speaking, and I realize... It's a representative of human government. <laughs> and so, you know, I gave him my license. He looked at my record. It was spotless. So he was very nice. He said, you can keep it clean if you just go to traffic school all day on a Saturday. So I went online, paid the fine, paid the fee for traffic school. Then I went there. And there were just hundreds of people. And then to my surprise, I saw at a distance the elder from one of the churches in Orange <laughs> County. And so we partners in crime, we got together and just went through the day together. All because I didn't pause and recognize this sense is God. This is Christ living in me. Just like the Lord was led by his inward parts. God, the Father, would give him a sense. Pray this. Go there. Do this. And he responded. But I think we're all the same. Sometimes we don't recognize it. And so... That's a little governmental dealing. And you go to one of these schools, they're experts. So you can't just be sitting there and have your iPad on doing other things. They have you active the whole time. You got to be writing things and doing all of this stuff. They're watching over you because they're going to sign the document. And so that was just a little governmental dealing. But I sure was glad I wasn't alone. 
I was with a disciplining father and a fellow learner. So here you have a co-worker and an elder still learning to live under the government of God. So don't be disappointed with yourself. Don't be discouraged. I'm a learner. There's a big L spiritually written on the back of me. Learner. I'm a learner. Learning to live under the government of God. And let me tell you, I've never been happier in my whole life. Praise the Lord. So we could have a number, just share for a minute or so. The brothers may give more direction or they may not. But we really need a number of you to speak for a minute or so. Whatever's in you. And please, any language, if there's translation, I don't want the Spanish speakers to feel that you're not part. Whatever language it is, as long as someone can interpret the tongue for us, please do it. Now it's your turn to follow the inner sense of the Spirit. Otherwise, you may end up in traffic school. <laughs>